Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. And welcome back to another episode of Spurs On this episode, I will be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will discuss the Spurs through 40 games. The team made some rosters this past week, and then also some different trade rumors that are coming about with a month to go before the trade deadline. Colin, how have you been? I've been doing well, you know, recovered mostly from the holiday season and starting to get back into the swing of regular life. So excited to talk some Spurs basketball. Awesome, man. It's good to have you on. I know it's been a while, and, and let's just go ahead and jump right into how this team is. I like to get your perspective on that. All right, so I'm going to have to go in and show all my notes because I realized my other notes are on the other screen, so it would be awkward for me to be looking on another screen. So here we go, Colin. Let's go through the Spurs. Uh, it, since I last recorded with Joe Garcia back on, I believe it was on December 28th, right before the month. The Spurs have played six games since that period, and they have gone two and four in their last six games. So let's go back to... While back, way back on on uh, December 29th, they they were hosting the New York Knicks. They they defeated the Knicks by seven points. The Spurs held a double digit lead for most of the game, and then uh, there was no Devin Vassell, who was out due to injury, and also no Jalen Brunson. The uh, SOTG means spur of the game was Kevin Johnson on that night. Then on New Year's Eve, the Spurs host the Dallas Mavericks. They lose by one point to the Mavericks. The Mavericks were up double digits in the second half, but the, the Spurs barely lost. They, they forced the Mavericks into a close game. Luka Doncic went off for 51 points. There was, again, no Devin Vassell. The uh, third of the game in that one was Jakob Pertl. Then on um, this past Monday, the Spurs go on the road to New York City. They play the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they lose by 36. This is just a blowout for the Spurs on this night. No Devin, uh, Devin Vassell did return. And then the uh, player of the game for this one for the Spurs was Kelton Johnson. Then the Spurs on Wednesday close to the New York Knicks. They lost by just three points. It was close throughout for battle for both teams. No Vassell again due to injury. The uh, the uh, player the Spurs was down on this night. Then on Thursday the Spurs announced that uh, Vassell is going to undergo a left knee procedure this coming Wednesday uh, in New York. There's no set return date for him. Uh, the team will provide updates, um, you know, as, as the season goes along. But Coach Pop was asked about the um, the uh, injury, and he basically told me that he thinks Vassell could return after the All-Star break. So, again, he's not out for the entire season with this left-knee procedure, but for a few weeks probably. Uh, then the most recent games were this past weekend. On Friday, the Spurs hosted the Detroit Pistons. They defeated the Pistons by two. Um uh, let's see. The Spurs took a comfortable lead toward the end of the third quarter. Uh, Kelson ended up getting injured, and then the, the uh, player of the game for this one was Jakob Bertel. And then the most recent loss was on Saturday. The Spurs won the second out of back-to-back, expected this by 15 points, and they ended up playing a close game to the Boston Celtics. They lost by just five points. They did trail by 15, but they forced crunch time with the Celtics, and there was no Bertel, Cell, or Kelton due to injury, and the Spurs game for that one was Zach Collins. So, Colin, the Spurs should have gone one in five. Uh, instead, they actually, um, they actually did better they went full in their last six games what are your thoughts on one Vassell's injury and then two how this team's been playing you know obviously when you talk about some sort of procedure uh to be done you feel like that's something pretty serious there I do feel like a team in this position though will be abundantly careful if he's coming back after the all-star break I figure for like maybe a regular team he'd be able to come back even sooner there's literally zero reason to rush him back on a team uh kind of with 
their current goals and aspirations. So I guess that's maybe a signal that, that, you know, when you start talking about knee procedures, you can start feeling pretty sketched out about what that might actually mean. But to know that the timeline is relatively short, especially for like a tanking team that, like I said, doesn't really have a lot of incentive to bring um, him back for wins, you know, you, you maybe feel better about the fact that, okay, this isn't something long-term. They're expecting like, okay, there was just something that needed some maintenance. They're going to go in there, clean it up, and then hopefully it's good after that because I know he was kind of in and out with the knee stuff. So hopefully this will kind of get that right. Um, with the games, I think, you know, that Detroit game was one where these are two teams that are about in the same tiers of talent mm -hmm. level <laughs> at this point. But I think a lot of these other games just show you, and, and so many teams in the NBA will end up playing down to their opponent's level. You know, the Celtics, it yeah. ended up being a close game. But really, I think the Spurs just don't have the talent on either end. You know, you look at, they have a hard time getting out in transition. And when they're in the half court, there's a lot of miscues in the half court, a lot of high-low mm -hmm. passes that turn into turnovers. Maybe a player is making a back cut. Maybe it's a pick and roll uh, where that pass doesn't make it to the intended receiver. Just the pass is late. It's early. It's just, it's not like crisp the offense is. I know early on we saw like, oh, some of this looks like the beautiful game, but it does feel like there's not yeah. quite that cohesion. And and I think for a team like this, you need the ball movement and you need the cutting and you need all that kind of stuff. And if if that's not clicking, then you have all of these turnovers and then the other team is getting out in transition. The Spurs don't have the defensive talent to stop other teams in transition. So that ends up being a huge like misstep. Um, and then they also, you know, they have a couple of players who are talented on defense, especially, you mm -hmm. know, probably the most exciting one, Jeremy Sohan, who is probably going to be their defensive ace of the future. But like on their roster right now, they don't have um, a whole lot of defensive talent. And I, I maybe this is something you noticed earlier in the season. Because mm -hmm. I, I've had kind of some stuff going on. I've really started locking into the Spurs again here. But as I was locking into the Spurs again, I realized they're playing Jakob Pertl on defense in a way that I wasn't quite accustomed to. He's like playing like a shallow drop or like at the level of the screen. Sometimes he's even switching on the perimeter. Like when I when I close my eyes and think of Jakob Pertl defending a pick and roll, I think like deep drop. He's standing at the rim. He's like Brooke Lopez. And, you know, like watching that Nets game, like he got switched on to Kyrie in the Pistons game. He got switched on to Boogie. Like, I, I'm not quite sure why they're using this defensive scheme. I don't know if that's something that they started a couple months ago that maybe you noticed too. It, it's just, it feels very weird. Um, and on defense in particular, if you look at his defensive numbers, they've dropped a lot this year. And I have yeah. to feel like part of that is the scheme, like I'm not quite sure why they're bringing him up to to near the level of the screen on every pick and roll. That's not really where he's best used. So I don't know if that's just like the covert tank in action or what, but that, you know, when I watch these games, I know like that I'm, I'm the kind of weirdo who's like, that's the big thing I take away is like, why is Yaka Pertle at the level of the screen? <laughs> but when I was watching it, I couldn't stop looking at that. I was like, this makes no sense to me. And I'm not quite sure why it's happening. And Opie got switched on to Kyrie Irving again. So that that was a really weird point of these last six games to me. Um, like I said, I don't know if maybe that actually started a couple months ago and I just didn't notice it then as it was happening. But um, 
it's just it's been very weird and i think you know they're really kneecapping their defense and you can see that in their rating which i know we're going to get into here in a bit as well yeah i haven't noticed that specifically but now i'm looking at that um and and i did i I have noticed like just their defensive numbers overall have just been been really bad this season especially opponents i think they're like they're like 29th or 30th and into the closest area to the rim uh, at the restricted area. And I, I know that from what I've seen, they want like more of those um, the guards and like and wings and players like Jeremy Sohan just being involved in the play in the possessions. So maybe that's a little bit part of it. But you're right. I have definitely seen a drop in his numbers uh, on defense this season. Um, and so one player I wanted to ask you about, uh, and before I do that, let me go ahead and correct one of my um, one of the numbers for myself. So the Spurs actually beat the Pistons by 12 points. My apologies um, to the San Antonio Spurs. I said they only beat the Pistons. They won 12 it was a comfortable win for them on Friday. Uh, anyway, going back, what have you thought about Zach Collins? Because as I was going through some of the players of the game, Zach has been one of the players who's been performing well. Now, he has gotten more opportunity to hurdle out due to, the, due to different injuries. What, what, what are your thoughts now on Zach uh, so far this season? Yeah, I, I've been really impressed. You know, I think if Pirtle leaves in the offseason, you know, I think for a team like the Spurs, the Spurs aren't going to do the process Sixers tanking level thing. I think when they commit to this rebuild – to me, in my mind, it's like three years of like no hope at the playoff unless something good happens. And then that fourth year, that's when you start. And so they they kind of maybe have two more years of this ahead of them. And I think mm-hmm. that with the improvement that he's had and kind of being able to rehabilitate on this team, like Zach Collin makes sense as that starting center for the next two years. If they trade Pirtle or if he leaves in free agency, you know, and whatever rookie they bring alongside, of course, unless the rookie plays at the five, um, you know, he's someone who I think can play alongside that young Bergeron superstar, hopefully, um, and, and be like a good pick and roll roll man, dive to the basket, drop. And that actually, so I was just rewatching the second Knicks game, the one that they lost for this. And that, sorry to bring it back to this, that's what made the Yaka Pirtle thing even more confusing because like I said, he was playing kind of a, a shallow drop. And then Collins comes in, and he's playing a deep drop. And I'm like, I don't understand yeah. what's going mm-hmm. on with this at all. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, he, he's been playing the scheme well. You know, he's he's not a perfect player. You know, he has his works, but I think he's really committed to rehabbing after his injuries. And I think that San Antonio has put him in a position to succeed after doing so. And honestly, normally when something like that happens, that starts a long-term relationship between the player and the team. And I think... Uh, he's that kind of guy who could stick around, you know, maybe on this, the next playoff iteration of the Spurs, he's the backup big and he can succeed at that role too. But yeah, I, I've been impressed, especially this year with him really getting his feet under him just in terms of kind of that level of production that I was a little bit surprised on both ends of the court. Yeah. For me, it's back to you know what you said earlier whether they lose Pirtle in the offseason he goes he, he leaves in free agency or even in the next month where but if they end up trading him well then they have a player who step and kind of do a little bit similar things to what he does um there for the team especially now that he's getting more involved in the offense like i've seen like i said uh, he's efficient in the paint when he does shoot or, or post up uh, he's good about moving the ball he just had five assists the other night like he's good about kind of being that anchor for the team and then defensively he has because Pirtle's numbers are down his numbers are actually kind of similar to, to zach's this this, this uh, season uh, on the defensive end all right so now let's go and uh, jump right back into how the team's doing the team overall 40 games 
they are 20th on offense. They have made some improvements since the last first cast. They were last 28th. Defense has still been a problem. 30th on defense, 30th net rating, uh, still the same thing. And then uh, they're now 13 and 27 overall through four games, 14th out west, same position. And then still bad enough where you're one of the bottom three teams in the league. They're still the fourth worst team in, in the league, which is about 13% overall um, a pick, a lottery odds for number one pick. What are your thoughts, Colin, just on, on the team as a whole and also where, where they kind of sit in the lottery standings? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to it, and this isn't meant as kind of a shot at any given player, but it really is a talent thing. You know, I I was kind of going over it recently in terms of like, okay, where is the talent level in the league? And I think if you wanted to make the case for it right now with Cade Cunningham out, you might say the Pistons are the least talented team. And then the second least talented team might be the Spurs. And, you know, they do have Mm -hmm. Devin Vassell. They have Keldon Johnson. uh, But I think, and those players, I think, could play like rotation minutes on a championship team, but they'd be asked to be in a role that's completely different than what they're playing on the Spurs right now. And I think that's that's a big part of it. You know, they're like Keldon Johnson is is good as a spot up shooter. Like he's good as that secondary guy. Like the initial play action kind of failed, but the defense got rotated, and now you kick it out to him, and he drives to the basket. But he's not your every down quarterback where you're like, hey, just go do it. And he's he's done better at that yeah. this season than I would have expected him to. But I don't think. That's his role on a high-level team. And, you know, you have uh, Orlando has Paolo and the Rockets, you know, they're young guys at any moment and could, like, kind of explode onto the scene. So I think they have some pretty good downward gravity. Um, And I think if they were committing to the tank to the level of, like, the process Sixers or OKC, you know, I feel like this is a point where they would just say, oh, yeah, Devin Vassell, he's ruled out for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. But I know that they don't quite have the appetite for that level of thing, but I do think they have some downward gravity in the sense of, like, if you're just looking at, like, talent and how players are used, I think they're probably, like, the second least in the league, which is good. I, I think especially Charlotte was so bad for so long, but uh, now that LaMelo is back, I think that kind of improves their roster quite a bit. Um, I think... And that really kind of up and down the rating too, you know, on offense. I think they have a yeah. whole bunch of players. Like, I think basically anyone in the rotation could be in a rotation on a championship team. It's just maybe not being asked to do what they're asked to do right now. You know, and you have a player like Sohan who you can see like, okay, this dude can maybe be like a mini Draymond Green in like four years. Like the secondary playmaker, he keeps the ball moving. He's like a switchy defender, but he's not that right now. And I think... For the upshot of him becoming that, it's worth letting him go through some mistakes and letting him go through some hardships, but that's going to hurt the team in the short run. It's going to help the team in the long run, but in the short run, you're going to have 30th on defense when you're kind of letting these guys run out there. And the same with Branham, and hopefully when Blake Wesley comes back, like we have that as well. Like Now that they're at this level, before when they were winning and they were making the playoffs every year, they, they, didn't, they couldn't afford to let the rookies play this way. But yeah. I'm glad to see that, – that was my number one question for the season, I think, coming in, is like, okay, this team is going to be terrible. Are they going to let the rookies figure it out in the NBA? And I'm so glad the answer has been yes. I know that for people who like to analyze the game, that's so much more interesting for you and I as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I really think that's just a big part of it. I think with the lottery, you know, they – if you have the first through the fourth worst record, you're going to have the same chance at the number one pick. But really, what it does is it makes your downside risk a lot higher if you have the fourth worst record. Because then you can go to like um, eight, I think. 
uh, something mm-hmm. like that. A few teams can hop in front of you. So, you know, if you're if you're number one, the the lowest you can go is five. So I mm-hmm. think right now they're in a pretty good position. I would say to get a top three pick, um, and they yeah. do have some downward gravity to like go lower. But um, I think that that's kind of maybe the goal right now. And, and I know this is something I've kind of been banging the drum on. Like twelve point five percent is the highest you can go. And that means there's an 87.5% chance that you're not going to get the number one pick. If this year is yeah. considered a failure because the Spurs don't get the number one pick, that means no matter what they do, there's an 87% chance this year is a failure. And like, again, as two people who analyze the game, that's really boring. If you're telling me mm-hmm. no matter how they do it organizationally, 87% chance this year is a failure, that's, I, I don't, there, there's. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Nothing I can analyze them. So... I think that them putting themselves in a position to get a top three pick in what seems to be a pretty loaded draft uh, is a successful season. And and I think that just continuing to let the rookies run and grow, uh, I think, you know, it's hard to watch, but at the same time in five years, this year will hopefully have been a big part of the Spurs kind of coming into their next playoff team in terms of building that roster. Yeah, I agree with you on on some points there, especially the part you said about the rookies. Like for for me, like you, you're like just getting to see these guys, uh, Branham and, and and specifically seeing where they were in October to where they are now. Like you just made every month they make improvement in some area of the game, and so that's really been cool to see. And I think that going forward for the season, it's going to be able to see that. As far as where they are in the lottery, you know, fourth worst, I think there's a chance they could end up being a bottom three because again, we don't know what trades they're going to make. I think there's a very strong they're going to move Pirtle, Richardson, and McDermott. Maybe not all three, but at least two two of those three players so again if they, they move some of those guys who, who are their, their key veterans um in the lineup out yeah they're going to lose more games and so again it's not it's not for sure that they're gonna be the fourth worst team and i am excited also to see blake wesley the fact that he's healthy again uh they've actually put made him active in a few games even though he hasn't returned onto the floor specifically because they've actually been close in these games there hasn't been a lot of blowouts um yeah, that's another thing. It's from just like seeing those young players make that development month over month, and it's been really interesting. Especially like Brandon's just playing really well off the bench. He's kind of found out his role. He's doing things already level score like the fact that i think he has like like 16 or 17 percent of his shots are pull up threes i mean he's just a rookie he's only gonna get better as time goes on so again it's just cool to see it's cool to see slow hands all of a sudden become a more of an offensive spark in terms of being a little bit more aggressive with his shot selection and so so you know, I, I agree with you there in, in those areas all right paul let's going to move on to the uh, some of the moves that the spurs made this past week uh, so let's go through this past week. So Thursday, the Spurs opened up trade season by being the first team to make it. It was a very minor trade. So what they did was they traded for Noah Vonley, but to do that, they needed to waive a player because they had 15 players already on the roster, and they ended up waiving Gorgie Jing. So they waived Gorgie Jing first on Thursday. Then they trade for Noah Vonley from the Boston Celtics and uh, cash considerations for Vonley. Then immediately they waived Noah Vonley. So Boston getting 2024 second-round pick that's protected 31 through 54, according to Bobby Marks of ESPN. Then on Saturday, the Stanley Johnson's contract actually guaranteed because 
was still on the roster um, as of Saturday. And then just today that you and I recorded this on a Sunday evening, this morning the Spurs re-signed uh, Gorgie Jang uh, to a 10-day contract. So now the roster is full, but again, um, Gorgie Jang's only on a 10-day contract. So what does their cap sheet look like? They have $27.7 million right now uh, with four players on guaranteed deals and one player on a 10-day. The trade deadline is now about a month away on February 9, 2023. And then they're about $15.9 million from the salary floor. So there's a lot of flexibility with the fact that they have one spot open when you, you know, once Gorgie Jenks attendee uh, um, uh, runs out. Uh, and, and the fact that they have a lot, of, they, can, they, can, they can be a, player, they, a team that's, that's involved in these, um, in, the, in these trade negotiations in this coming month. What are your thoughts there, Colin, on the moves they made this past week? Yeah, so uh, kind of one fun like trivia fact is in less than two calendar years, less than, I guess, what, 720 days or whatever, Gorgie Jang mm-hmm. has, like, voluntarily signed with the Spurs three different times now, which is oh, just wow. kind of interesting. <laughs> because uh, they got him on the buyout market, then he went to Atlanta, mm-hmm. then they signed him with offseason, and then he came back. So just that's kind of a weird thing. Obviously, he enjoys being around the organization. Um, I think the yeah. other part of that is... It, more of these moves might happen, and they're kind of boring yes. from a fan perspective sometimes. Yeah, because you know we're we're such a like transaction oriented league where everyone's like, oh, what's the big trade that's going to happen? And at the end of the day, if the Spurs' salary for their players is going to be the same whether they get to the salary floor or not, because they have to kind of pay out the yeah. rest of that if they don't get to the salary floor. So in this situation, it's like, well, we're going to pay the money anyway. But we, as an organization, get more revenue because Boston's sending us money, and we're sending them a second-round pick that'll never convey. So they're basically just getting cash flow for nothing. And that doesn't change the yes. on-court product. Mm-hmm. So for fans, that's boring. But like at an yeah. organizational level, where the point of an organization is to make money, you know, they could make these trades 50 times at the trade deadline, and they would keep doing it just because it's just a savvy business move. <laughs> um, and yeah. so it's, it's just kind of a, like, hey, they made some cash cool (laughs) and they'll probably do this for some other teams at the trade deadline especially if they're not able to like land the big salary dump type trades they'll probably do a lot of these other minor ones exactly you just you know you summed it up there it's actually we're going to go into in our next piece here uh um uh, our last topic here is talking about one of the trade rumor articles that came out and, and that's kind of what, what you just said here so um one of, the, one of the one of the writers um from bleacher report named eric pinkus he's a, he's, a, he's a really good salary guy who knows that he'd very uh, he's also plugged into the league so he knows like a lot of sources and things like that um, um and so he had a, he had his article come out on bleacher report on saturday it was called latest nba traders keep eyes on small market teams with money to burn and so this is really a, a or so Spurs, Indiana Pacers, who have a lot of cap room right now. They're like they're, they're like the only teams, the two teams with substantial cap room going into the trade deadline. And so here's a few takeaways from Pinkus that kind of highlight what you said there, Colin. So for one, the Spurs do feel like, um, according to to a source, to Pink, um, the, the the Spurs are optimistic that they can get close to the salary floor uh, by using different kind of trades, even if they have to do multiple type Noah Vonley trades where they trade for the player, they waive him, but again, they're getting cash in, in return and maybe just like protect this uh, second round pick. Those kind of deals we may continue to see in this coming month. So have that roster spot open once Gorgie Jang's 10 date runs out. And so they, they we may see them do that where they trade for a player who a team doesn't want, maybe maybe due to um you know luxury complications, things like that. And so we could see the Spurs continue to do that. And of course, that'll start to slowly decrease that 15.9 million to get to the salary floor. Uh, to Pinkus's source also 
if the Spurs were to trade or any team were to, were to trade for Russell Westbrook, all those teams, all 29 other teams, they want a first-round pick attached to Westbrook. So again, if taking Westbrook, they want a first-round pick from the Lakers. Then he also says that if the Lakers wanted Jakob Pertl, uh, they'd have to give up another first and more um, more per Eastern Conference uh, per conference executives. So again, for, from what they're hearing, um, you know, these writers, is that that Pertl, if, if a team wants Jakob, they get they got to give up a first plus more. So we don't know what that more is. So again, that's kind of where, where Pirtle's trade value is at uh, from what the Spurs want for for him. Uh, he did mention not many teams are looking to dump big money. So again, so like you said, Colin, they may not be able to find that, that big contract that, you know, to take up a lot of that cap room. So that's something to watch. And then he also said that if a, a, a Westbrook deal were to happen with a team like the Spurs or Pacers, then a third team's probably going to be involved. Maybe like the Chicago Bulls sending like DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic to the Lakers could be a possibility. So again, if we see Westbrook end up on the Spurs, well, then maybe there's a third team involved for the Lakers to get to get better, maybe not just Spurs player. And lastly, he did say that teams aren't very eager right now to have a lot of cap space this summer. So again, the, the, the free agent outlook probably doesn't look very good for a lot of teams this offseason which is great, but not, not great for the Spurs. They're going to have a lot of cap space. But, um, yeah, that's kind of where things uh, sit. He had a, again, I, I encourage you, if you like to get into the transactions and, and information on the Spurs and where they sit, go, go read that article by Eric Pinkus, a uh, very good writer for BleacherReport.com. So, Colin, I know that's a lot of information. What are some of your takeaways from that article? Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing a Westbrook trade that involves the Spurs happening just for the very reason of, you know, like I know it looks like it'd be a multi-team deal, but the math even with that starts to get a little bit kind of complicated. So, like, let's just say it were for Pirtle. So mm-hmm. the the best lineups that the Lakers have had so far have been AD at center. So now yep. you're telling me, like Westbrook, like he has not been what the Lakers have needed. He has been better off the bench, but still to trade him to just dump him with a first round pick for nothing means that they are downgrading their talent. So they would have to get something in return, especially like a team that's on the bubble of just the play-in. Okay, so you bring back Pirtle now. You've had to trade both of your future first-round picks plus more to lose your like bench playmaker and scoring piece and bring in Pirtle. So now is he your big off the bench? Like, like this doesn't change the Lakers' outlook. No. And they've used yeah. all of the bullets in their gun. Why would they do that? Um, and then with the Bulls thing, so let's say it involves – DeRozan or Levine or something if things get really crazy well we've seen what the market is like look at what Gobert went for look at what uh Mitchell went for so they have two picks they have to use one of them to get rid of Westbrook and now somewhere three more picks need to get to Chicago at least well where are those gonna come from so I, I I think and it's like they they can't make a trade unless it's really going to swing their window for this season and for future seasons. So I think that the the Lakers probably get out of this hole in the offseason. It doesn't make a lot of sense for them to try to do it now. And I know that like a lot of Spurs fans have been wanting to get in on the Westbrook thing to collect as many assets as the Spurs can, but I just think like like if the Lakers are calling the Spurs and offering a first or two for Westbrook and then maybe taking Pirtle back. I think that's a great value, but I just, I don't see that happening just with where the Lakers are in the records right now. Like if the Lakers were like sixth or fifth in the West, that might be a little bit of a different kind of sell, but with them being kind of like on the play in bubble as it is. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of tough. And then beyond that, I do think you talked about the three veterans that the Spurs have that they could move on from. Mm-hmm. And I think that a team that is a playoff team, 
a team trying to push to the playoffs or like a contending team could sell themselves on any one of those three players for different reasons. You know, maybe they need just a little bit more perimeter defense off the bench. They can get Josh Richardson. Maybe they need a little bit more bench scoring. You know, they can get Doug McDermott. They need more rim protection. You know, so so that that's going to do that. I think the problem with the Spurs wanting a first-round pick is I have a hard time seeing a team do a first-round pick plus more unless they foresee Yaka being their starter, starting center in the playoffs or getting like 20-plus minutes in the playoffs. And that really, I think, starts to take the number of teams down a good bit. Like, uh, basically, every team could use Pirtle off the bench as a rim protector. But in terms of like, okay, this is going to be their starter um, and play 20-plus minutes a game, that, that does start to like limit the field quite a bit. So I, I would expect one of those players to get traded. I do think it's going to be more of this kind of good for the organization, but not really interesting for the fans is going to be a vast majority of the trade deadline for the Spurs. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you had a great point there about Pirtle. Like I, I just, it's, it's a huge gamble for another team because he can just walk away this summer. I mean, they're, again, they're not getting him. They're getting him as, as a, going into as a free agent, especially if they're giving up a, a first round pick and more. So I would just say, if I had a rank who I think is going to be, you know, from one, two and three, who's the most likely to least likely to get traded on the Spurs uh, out of those three veterans, I would say, number one Josh Richardson I think is, no, is is the most likely number two I would say Pirtle and then number three Doug McDermott because with Pirtle and, and McDermott Pirtle again there's been reports that they may just want to re-sign him in the offseason they may offer him a contract extension before June 30th they can do that before he, he even becomes a free agent say hey you know continue to grow with the organization you're a good start a foundational center for this team I know I know you're you know he's a veteran uh McDermott's still on a, he still has another year guaranteed so they could just you know continue to keep him on the roster it's not like they have to get rid of him this this season and then now Richardson is going to be a free agent this offseason as well uh, and so, again, I think because we've seen Stanley Johnson now, his contract guarantee, we see that they're going to want to give minutes continue to, to Malachi Branham. They want to probably give Billy Wesley minutes at the guard position. I just think that it looks more likely that I could see Josh Richardson end up being the player who ends up getting moved, especially because he's really been playing really well for the team as well uh, these last this, this last week and a half. Um, so th- is that where you – how would you rank those three players in terms of most likely to, to least likely to get traded? Yeah, I, th- I think – you know, I like the idea of like the tiers, you know, because then yeah. you can say like kind of orders of magnitude. And, and I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, Josh Richardson is like in a tier of his own. And that maybe mm-hmm. like Pirtle and McDermott are like in another tier down. Like they, that, like honestly, like if it's not Richardson, I could see it being either of the other ones. I yeah, think that sure. Pirtle probably provides more value. But like, I, I think it's it's far and away more likely to be Josh Richardson than the other two. I would just say like like yeah. So just my perspective is like I don't think they're desperate to get rid of uh, you know either of these mm-hmm. any of these players. But again, especially McDermott and Pirtle are just way more less. Again, if they're not getting an offer that they really can't turn down, they're not. They're probably not going to move these players. They don't have to move these players. We've seen that they're the fourth worst team, uh, even with these players on the on the roster and playing games. So again, it's not it's not like they have to do this. All right, so so again, those, again, that was one. That's one article that came out. But again, we're going to continue to to see different articles with Pirtle, McDermott, and um and uh, Richardson. And let me ask you this though, before we before we end this episode, do you think it's it's uh even if even if they um don't trade these players, do you think though that they if um that they wait till like right until the deadline, like they just hold off, like they don't do something so so urgent in, in this early month? Yeah, I th- I think I don't know where. The, the players that are like Josh Richardson or Yaka Pirtle are coming for for these teams that have those needs. You know, I know that there there aren't as many sellers this year because mm-hmm. of how the play-in has kind of really looked at things. You know, like 
even OKC is doing fairly well right now. You know, like there, there really aren't that many teams that are like in the pits right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I think the Spurs can afford to kind of see what offers are out there. I think it, it just is kind of good negotiating to like wait until the end. You know, I guess there there is always a risk that like a team that really wants Pirtle finds an option elsewhere. But just because of how few teams are selling this trade deadline, I think that that risk is pretty minimal. And it's just better negotiating to like squeeze these teams of all their worth and to also get multiple offers to like use those offers to like increase the bidding. So I think if they make a trade now, what that tells you is they're feeling like they got really good value in that trade. But I I think that if if they're like, okay, we've come to terms with it. We're going to move Pirtle. We have a couple of deals we like, uh, but none of them are like blowing us away. They'll probably wait to pull the trigger on that until the day before the trade deadline or the day of the trade deadline. I, I, I would think that would be the, the best way of going about it. I agree with you 100%. So again, Spurscast listeners, uh, you might, you know, again, we're going to probably this next month continue to see articles or rumors that, that you know, Pirtle's involved with this team or Richardson or McDermott. But again, Colin and I both probably don't see them doing that deal until the day of the trade deadline or right before it. So again, it could just be another fun month of just a bunch of rumors and stuff like that. So, all right. Thanks, Colin, for joining me on this episode of the Spurscast. Um, I also want to say thank you to Joe Garcia for mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.